Uh, Philippians chapter 2, I'm reading from the New King James Version. You might have a different version of the Bible, but we will get to the same place together because we have the same Holy Spirit, amen, and he will, of course, correct us should we need that, all right? Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, Paul said these words to the church at Philippi. He said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. God bless you, my brother. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on earth, and those under it, (laughs) and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Now, people have um, expectations of pastors of Christian churches. You know, people have have great expectations uh, of of anyone who says that they they call themselves a pastor of a Christian church. One of those expectations, I think you would agree, that we would hope that a pastor would possess um, is a philosophy that largely reflects uh, biblical principles. In other words, we expect our pastors to have a biblical worldview. Am I right? You agree with that? I would hope that you, I expect my pastor to have a biblical worldview, and I would hope that you expect your pastor to have a biblical worldview. (laughs) But there was a nationwide study, Gallup poll. Some of you have heard of Gallup. Um, and they took representatives of, of Christian pastors, a sample of, of thousands of Christian pastors over a number of years. And they, we found that a large majority of those pastors do not possess a biblical worldview. I'm telling you facts. In fact, just slightly more than a third about 35, 37% of those surveyed. Now, I know it wasn't every single pastor. I get that. So we, we, we understand that. Uh, but about only a little more than a third of those possessed a biblical worldview. The majority, about 62, 63%, possessed a hybrid view called syncretism. Syncretism. So you might say, well, all right. Brother Mike, you do, you do all these statistics. I didn't come here for statistics. You're supposed to read the word, start preaching, right? Well, let me just tell you what a, a biblical worldview is, what we would say a basic biblical worldview is, okay? Seven points to this biblical worldview, all right? I would believe that this would be a biblical worldview. All right, number one, that there is absolute moral truth, and such truth is defined in the Bible. Okay, that's number one. So we can see we got a problem already if you look around in society with that. 
Okay, but there is absolute moral truth, and that truth is defined in the Bible. Number two, Jesus Christ it led a sinless life. Number three, God is all-powerful and all-knowing, the all-knowing creator of the universe, and still rules the universe today. Number three. Number four, salvation is a gift from God that cannot be earned. We're talking about a biblical worldview, okay? Cannot be earned. Number five, Satan is real. There is a real Satan. Number six, a Christian has a responsibility to share their faith in Christ with other people, one way or the other. Doesn't, say, doesn't mean you have to be a preacher or on a soapbox, but just share your faith with others when you have the opportunity, all right? There's a reasonable expectation. And then number seven, that the Bible is accurate in all of its teaching. These are seven points that would constitute a basic foundational biblical worldview and only a little over a third of Christian pastors I'm talking about. I didn't say Christians. I said Christian pastors possess this worldview that were surveyed. You see, syncretism, what is it? It's the combination of different beliefs. You put those together. Come on. For example, the Unitarian Universalists, if you've ever heard of them, they're an example of a modern synchronatic religion, okay, because they mix different things together. Now, I don't know about you, but that would, to some extent, alarm me I, if I'm going to a church and I don't know what my pastor believes. And then I think about if pastors are that way, what about the rest of us Christians? How confusing must it be if only a third of pastors have a biblical worldview and the rest of Christians who are being bombarded, come on, by the devil's view, make no mistake about it. How are we to navigate? Well, that's why we are in a series called The Name of Jesus. The Name of of Jesus, the name of Jesus. And we kind of started off talking about why do we need the name of Jesus? In order to understand the significance of this name, we must understand why we need the name of Jesus. Well, last week we reviewed and we found out that 2 Corinthians 5.17 would say that we're new creations, we're new creatures in Christ. And that's not a physical person, rather our spirit person on the inside. We know that because we read in John chapter 3 where Jesus said, you must be born again, or rather born from above, is the correct translation. And then it says in the sixth verse of John chapter 3 that that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, it refers to Father God as the Father of spirits. The Father of spirits. And so we left off last time beginning to explore a little bit more this question of why we need the name of Jesus. Why we need the name of Jesus and what all that implies. And we left off uh, reading our scripture here in Philippians 2 and we found out uh, just reading it, that God has highly exalted him 
and that name, he's given him a name, come on, that's above every other name, right? We just read it, that every knee should bow. How many knees are left out of every, right? That means everyone. That, that means no matter if you saved, not saved, Satan worshiper, universal Unitarian, whatever, LGBTQ, uh, black, white, big, fat like me, skinny, whatever, bald, don't matter. If you got a knee, it's going to bow. The only question is, are you going to bow before you die? Or are you going to bow afterwards? And then you say, well, well, what knee? What about the praying mantis? They look like they have knees. A cheetah has a knee. Well, we see that Paul goes on to say uh, that every tongue should confess. So if you have a tongue that is able to confess, that tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is Lord. So there's obviously an importance to the name, but the question is, why do we need the name? We're going to talk about it. it there, there's an authority to this name, right? Unlike anything else, unlike anything else that you've ever come into contact with in your life or you will ever come into contact with, the authority of this name. Turn over to John chapter 14, if you will. We'll put that up in just a moment. John chapter 14. And, you know, one of the things is, you know, in, in the book of Hebrews, uh, I believe right in chapter 12, maybe, right in verse 1, it talks about so great a cloud of witnesses. Those of you who are Bible scholars and memorize your Bible, you know, it talks about so great a cloud of wit so great cloud of witnesses. And, and then it goes on to say, um, it, it goes on to say something to the effect of there are th those things that so easily beset us. I believe the King James and New King James says those things that so easily trip us up. There are things in our life that so easily trip us up, especially as Christians, because as Christians, one of the things that I've noticed is we are so eager to fight for our limitations. We are so eager to fight for the limitations that we have when we look in the mirror. But when Jesus says, ask in my name, we don't bother to dig into that and find out what he's talking about. And then we live a life that's less than what he would have us live because of ignorance. Now, a lot of people, when they hear that, that word ignorance, they immediately get offended. What do you mean? Call me ignorant? It's because that's the way people used to they talk to you. They used to use it as throwing shade. OK, but ignorance is not so much throwing shade. It's, it's just saying you don't have the knowledge. You just don't know that I'm ignorant of a lot of things. Right. We all are. And because of ignorance, we fall short of the life that Christ died for. And the shame of it is, is that you, it, it's not one of those things where, well, you know, I just didn't quite live up to it. So it's OK. It's no problem. Well, that might be the case. But when you think about. What Pastor Dietrich was talking about this morning and all that Jesus gave up and his blood ran out of his body and a Roman soldier stuck a spear in his side that living water came out and you're going to tell me it's okay that I don't live up to what he died for? 
See, yes, he died to take away your sin, but the chastisement of his peace, of your peace, was upon him. So you're supposed to have peace in your life. Come on. You're supposed to have some healing. You're supposed to have some deliverance in your life. And if we're living, if we're fighting for our limitations, we're not living up to what Christ called us to. This is what John said in chapter 14, just one verse, verse 30. Jesus said this, John wrote it down. He said, I will no longer talk much with you. He's coming to the end here. He says, for the ruler of this world is coming and has nothing in me. Now, when I read that and I think about the ruler of this world, I immediately realize he's not talking about himself because he's already there. He's not talking about the father because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So he must be talking about Satan. The ruler of this world is coming and has nothing in me. Now, before you get all upset, and, and we, we don't have time today to get all the way into it, but he's talking about this world system, the, the way this world operates. And I mean, come on, be frank, be realistic. If you look around and you say that God is ruling our economy and, and this is the way that the economy is going to be in the kingdom of God, I don't know that that's the place I want to be. Thank the Lord it's not. Come on. But you can't tell me that God is running this economy. I mean, in this country, I don't mean even other economies of the world. When I look around here, you can't tell me God is running this thing. Come on. So the ruler of this world system, Jesus said, is coming. But I don't have to. I'm not afraid because he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. I, I, I've been able to overcome those things that so easily beset me. Mindsets, not just big sins, although those are included, but my mindset, fighting for my limitation, all of those things that so easily trip me up. I've been able to come overcome those things. And so he has nothing in me. Why do we need the, the, the name of Jesus? Jesus just told us right here, Satan is ruling this world system, right? The traditional King James translation says it, he's the prince of this world. But it, the new King James says the ruler because the Greek word there is archon, A-R-C-H-O-N, and it literally translates to ruler. And the definition here means any supernatural being beside God Acting in a ruling or commanding capacity, either good or evil. That's the definition of this Greek word archon. And so we see it's a spiritual being that's the ruler of this world. Okay. Now, we would say, now hold on. Wait a minute now, Pastor Mike. You're going to have to put everything together because you, you can't just grab one scripture all right, and just use that scripture for a whole doctrine. Because I understand uh, uh, Psalms 24.1 that says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Absolutely. Absolutely believe it. David said it. I believe it. I understand 1 Corinthians chapter 10 when, when he said, Paul said, eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and its fullness. 
But what we have to understand is in John 14, 30, it's not saying that the world belongs to Satan. It's not saying this terra firma world belongs to Satan. It's saying that he is the one who rules the world. I remember when I had a job at AT&T, I was a technician. And then after a year of being a technician, I became a manager. Now, when I became a manager, those folks that were under me had to do what I say. If I said you have to be there at 730 in the morning, then that's what time you have to be there. If you're late, I can write you up. Okay. If I give out an assignment to you to do, you have to do it. If you don't do it, I can bring consequences. But I didn't make any mistake to think that I owned AT&T. Nowhere did I say, I, I own this joint now. I'm, I'm AT&T. M-I-C-H-A-E-L. I, 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 I was not misled that I owned the whole company, but I knew that I ruled a section of it that was under my rule. And so this, this world system is under the rule of the enemy. Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 5, the Bible puts it this way. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain, taking who up? Taking Jesus up. Remember, you know the story, most of you, when Jesus went into the wilderness to fast for 40 days, said the devil took him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, right? And then it says the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. He didn't take it. Satan didn't, it's not like Satan got his boys together and just took it. No, it was delivered to him in the garden. And he said, I will give it to whomever I wish. You think you don't need the name of Jesus? You think you don't need to understand that, what it's all about? Second Corinthians chapter 4. I know it's a lot of scripture, but we're just going to do the word. I can't give you what I feel. I can't give you what I feel. We got to, we got to do what the word says. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Beginning at verse 3, it says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds, watch this now, please watch this, whose minds the God of this age, age right there tells you it's not a permanent thing anyway. So it's not like we got to worry, but I'm talking about we in it right now, okay? The God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now, this is not talk when he says the God of this age. It, to me, it cannot be talking about Father God, Jehovah. It cannot be talking about him because God is a God of revelation, not a God of blindness. God wants to reveal himself to you, not blind you. Amen? Satan wants to blind you. Jesus said the enemy comes to, come on, kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly, more abundantly. Think about that for a moment. More abundantly. What does he mean more abundantly? Because he didn't even say abundantly. He just started with more abundantly. So to me, he said, I know when I say abundantly, you're going to think of something. But before you even think of that, I'm talking about more. That's what he's saying. 
That's what he's saying. This is one instance uh, where I really love uh, the King James Version of the Bible. Uh, uh, when when the, the, the Bible says that God is able, Paul said God is able to do exceeding. Right? And, and in many versions it says exceedingly, abundantly. If those two things go together, he's able to do exceedingly and he's also able to do abundantly above all you can ask or think. I love the King James Version of that scripture because it says exceeding abundantly. So, you know, I'm able to do abundantly, but guess what? I exceed abundance. This is who we're talking about, okay? This is who we're talking about. So God is the God of revelation. But Paul here is saying that those are blinded, their minds are blinded by the God of this age. And we need revelation. Ephesians chapter 2. Come on, we're just going down a road here. We're going down a road. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning right at the first verse. Paul said this to the church at Ephesus. He said, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Watch this now. Watch, watch. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of of the air, the spirit who used to work, it says now works in the sons of disobedience. So when you look around and you see the sons, the children of disobedience, guess what? Satan is working in them. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. I, I am not by any means trying to scare you or, you know, tell, tell you that the devil is all around you and the devil is after you. No, by the time this is over, you are going to be so empowered by the name of Jesus. But you have to first realize that you need it. See, if you don't realize that you need saving, you're never going to get saved. That's why it says all have sinned and come short of God's glory. If you don't realize you drown and you're going to drown. That's why I've heard, I don't know much about seafood. In fact, I really don't know a whole lot about cooking because my wife is such a great cook, you know. I, I can do a few things, but I just haven't had to over the years. I'm sorry, I know even Red said, no, maybe not even a few, but one or two, maybe. But uh, I, I know there are, are <laughs> you, ever heard, you ever heard this where, you know, this example where, you know, they'll, they'll put something in a pot. And, and they'll just boil it slowly, turn the water up slowly. So whatever that thing that's in there doesn't even realize, realize it's being boiled till it's too late. See, if you don't realize you're being boiled, by the time you do, it's going to be too late. That's why we have to realize that Satan controls this economic system. And so when you, when, you, when you just can't get over, or when you go two steps forward and one step back and, and all of those things, you, you have to realize, listen, it, it's stacked against you. I don't care who you are, it's stacked against you. But the good news is Satan only has the power that we give him. He doesn't have ultimate power. We're not dualists. We don't believe that there's a God and there's a Satan and those two are fighting against each other. We're going to figure out who wins in the end. Like this is some UFC match or it's, it's some boxing match. Hey, no. Yeah, MMA. This ain't, this ain't no MMA match. It's, it's not even... This, God has a plan, all right? He already won, all right? He's, he's, he's powerful. So it's not that. God is God. Right? He rules it. Not Satan. Satan is not God. Satan does not have all power. 
And so we read in Matthew 28, 18, where it, it talked about uh, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then Jesus took it back, right? We don't have anything to worry about because he took back all authority. But here's the key. Remember, I want I you to go back to last time and remember this, that everyone is not a child of God. Who has that authority? Who has that authority that Jesus took back? Who has it? Right? Remember in John chapter 1 verse 12, but as many as have received him, to them he gave the right or the power to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. We're talking about the name of Jesus. To, who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Only those Jesus gives his name have a right to use it. But boy, if you have a right to use it, you got a weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> if you know who Jesus is, if you know him, if you, that's the key. John, over in John 14, verse 12, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, this is Jesus talking, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. Why? Because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my, come on, name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified. It all goes together. So if you ain't trying to glorify the Father, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I will do it. So though Satan uh, has control over the world system, we have, we have something that's so much more powerful, right, than the world system. Because God influences us through his word. Satan influences us through our senses. This is why Jesus said, the ruler of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. So I think one of the questions we have to ask is, does Satan have anything in you? Is there anything in you that he can use to exploit? Is there anything in you that, that he can turn against you, that he can tempt you with? And make no mistake, Jesus was able to be tempted. Because we, we compare ourselves to Jesus and then we say, well, I can't, that was the son of God. I can't do what he did. I can't walk like he walked. I mean, this was God incarnate. But Jesus was able to be tempted. He was able to be tempted, I said. Listen, it, it wouldn't be a temptation if he wasn't able to sin. He had the ability to, he just didn't. Now, I know I might be stepping on some theological toes there, but how is it a temptation if you can't sin? If I don't have the ability to sin, nothing is a temptation. So Jesus could be tempted. And the Bible says the devil took him up on a mountain to tempt him. So he was able to do it, but he overcame it. And I'm going to say, you, you might, listen, don't fight for your limitation. I said that for a reason. You are able to overcome also. You are able to overcome also the name of Jesus. You're not in your own power, but you're able to overcome also.
Every sin, every temptation, no matter what it is, you're able to do it. I'm not telling you that you're going to be condemned. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. Now, Holy Spirit is going to convict you, but he didn't come to condemn you. So don't feel like you're being condemned, but you should be convicted. You should be convicted. Come on. I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. See, you, you, you can't walk in it if you don't know the truth about it. And I just want you to know the truth about the name of Jesus. So we've established already, I hope, up to this point, because it's important for where we're going today and, and, and next week and the rest of the series. It's important to where we're going that you have to know Jesus, first of all. Right. How, how many? Well, I'll get into that next week. We'll, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to use the name of Jesus. There was even a scripture of a man who wanted to do that. And then the, the that demon came to him and said, listen, hold on a second. Wait a minute. Hold on, 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 hold on. Now, Jesus, I know. I know Jesus. Mm -hmm. Paul and them, I, I know them. They was casting out because they used the name. I know them. You? Who is you? That's my, that's my best IU. I say it every week. That's my best IU. English. Who was you? I don't know you. So when, if you don't know Jesus and you're trying to use the name, come on somebody, it ain't working. And it ain't going to work. You got to know him first. You got to have knowledge. Come on, folks, read your word. <laughs> don't, don't act like uh, devotion and prayer and reading of the word of God and studying the word of God and have an open mind to the word, to the truth. Remember, I started off saying that there's so many pastors that don't even have a biblical worldview. You better have a biblical worldview believing that the, the Bible is the inerrant word of God, that what God said says is the truth. And, it, and I, I shall not be moved. Come on, you can't be moved off of this. No matter what you see, no matter what you hear, no matter what happens to other people. You know, stuff will happen to other people and they say, I tried this. I don't know what those turkeys tried. I don't know what they went through. I know this word. And I know if it didn't work for you, I, I, it, didn't, it ain't the word, it must be you. And I ain't talking bad about you. Because I did it too. If it didn't work for me, then it got to be me. It's not the word. That's the position you have to take, that the word of God is the word of God. It's inerrant. We have a biblical worldview, folks. And so we got to get to the truth. We have to get to the truth. We know that Jesus stood up. I've said this before, but I just love the way that this comes across. That Jesus stood up before his disciples and before anyone who would listen at all in John chapter 14, <laughs> right? Because Thomas came to him, he said, Lord, listen, we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. How, how, how can we know the way? How do we know? We don't know where you're going. Jesus said to him, I am the way. So this is a little bit different now than just saying, follow me. We are supposed to follow Jesus. But this is a little bit different than saying, I'm going to walk here and I want you to walk behind me. Yeah, we're supposed to do that, but that's not what he's saying here. He said, I, I am the way. Me, I be the way. 
not some path, not some enlightenment on top of a mountain, but I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus was a little intolerant here. Just saying. He was a little intolerant. I mean, when you say no one, no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is the way as opposed to the ways of the world. Jesus is the truth. There is no truth besides Jesus. There's not a truth. There's not kinds of truth. There's only one truth, and that truth is Jesus. And then Jesus said, and you shall know the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth. Come on, finish it. The truth shall set you free. The truth shall make you free. And you've you probably quoted that. You probably heard people say that. It's a cliche. Guess what? John chapter 8, verse 32. If you didn't know that's where it was, write it down. It's in the Bible. John chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The truth shall make you free. It will make you free. So, you know, and, and I love that too. That Actually, that word, the Greek word there translated as in some uh, versions, it says set you free, actually is correctly translated uh, to be make you free. And there's a big difference there because when you're set free, that just means the doors are opened. I, I open the jail door. You can go if you want. But when, when you know the truth, the truth makes you free. <laughs> Jesus takes you and kicks you out of the jail. You don't have a choice but to be free when you know the truth. Come on. You don't have a choice. You, when you know the truth, you are free. And if Jesus is the truth, and we're going to get to the truth, come on, then we must go to him. We must go to him. How do we identify him? If I say that Dietra told me that she was going to be here at 4 o'clock, how would you know who's going to be there for? How do you know who's going to be there? How do you know? How do you know? I just said it. But what did I say? Did I say some girl? Did I say some pretty girl with pretty hair? I'll stop there. No, I said her name. Her name. That's how you know by her name. By her name, by her name. If we want access to his power, if we want access to his authority, if we want access to his influence, if we want access to all power, we must know and use his name. We must know him and we must use his name. And listen, we haven't even gotten to the authority of the name of Jesus yet. You don't, you don't even realize the authority that that name has. But we have to realize that there's no other way, no other way to heaven, no other way to the Father, but by the name of Jesus. Jesus was our example. He walked the earth. He overcame every temptation that was thrown his way. Now, I don't know about you this morning. Maybe you're not interested in overcoming every temptation that's thrown your way. Maybe you're a person that just likes wallowing in the mud some days and being on top other days. Maybe you're a person who likes to walk in disappointment. I don't know. But if you're like me, I realize that that's where I've been, but I don't want to always live like that. I don't want to always live like that. 